it's time for another scripted conversation with Paula, Bruce, and Randy. Good morning, everybody. This is our scripted conversation today with Bruce, Paula, and our special guest, Joe Pizzo. So welcome, everybody. Morning, Paula. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And today we are truly very excited because uh, Joe Pizzo has uh, a long list of acolytes here that we'd like to talk about today, and especially his long, long career in education and how he has incorporated media and the changes that he's seen over the years. So, Bruce, I'm going to let you uh, get the ball rolling here because you uh, know Joe and I'm going to let you introduce him, and then, Joe, we're going to let you uh, talk about yourself a little bit. Thanks so much, Paula. Really, my pleasure and honor, Joe. The story with Joe and I is uh, I have been going to a lot of ed camps and conferences in New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, and I had seen Joe frequently uh, for a couple of years, and it's actually frustrated that Joe always had the same session time that I had. So I would see him at the beginning of the conference, the end of the conference, but we would be like up against each other in whatever time slot. And finally, uh, last year, I said, hey, let's have lunch, let's sit down. And three and a half hours later, whatever it was, we had a terrific uh, conversation and we have been uh, friends ever since. And right from his Twitter profile, Joe, uh, he would appreciate as a sports fan, is like a five-tool educator, teacher, professor, writer, voiceover artist, moderator, out-of-the-box thinker, Emily, which is the National uh, Middle School Association. He's the teacher of the year. He's also won NCTE and the Jamily, which is the New Jersey chapter of Emily, um, educator of the year. And we're also lucky enough to have him on the Scripted Educators Network that he does a spot of poetry, uh, which he hosts. And, you know, I always appreciate Joe because even though he's been teaching for a long time um his enthusiasm is like it's his first day you know doing everything and everyone you're going to enjoy hearing from him today so without further ado here is joe why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself joe uh for our scripted educators audience bruce thank you so much for that wonderful introduction it was very kind of you i I love teaching and that's that's the first thing i have to lead with because I think if you do what you wish to do, if you follow your own passion, that it's, it becomes positively infectious. I like being with my students, and I tell them that every day. And I like bringing the, the new technology into the classroom. I don't do every single new thing that comes out because I don't know that that's possible. But what I do instead is I infuse the technology. Students in this day and age are very technologically savvy, and it's part of the requirement to be successful in the society, to know technology and to be able to put it to use for you is a plus. Uh, most of the kids, if not all of the kids, have phones, and, and they're familiar with Chromebooks and iPads, and they make videos for different uh, applications. So we're, we're tapping a different part of their brain. And we're giving them the chance to use that which they enjoy, which could make the learning more enjoyable as well. Mm-hmm. I try not to 
be the person who brings in technology du jour. This is new, let's use this. That's new, let's let's use that. But really fit the technology to the learning. If something's appropriate, we'll use it. If it's not appropriate, okay, then maybe we won't. And I like to give kids the chance to adapt. I have this way of doing this. May I do this instead? Well, sure, if it makes sense and you are covering the uh, skills that we need to learn, yeah, go ahead. We, we may learn some new things. And I've had projects just almost knock me on my ear because the kids who have come up with things have done so in, in such a, a tremendous manner that at times I haven't seen the end product that they have. And that's okay because we learn from each other. In any teacher-student relationship, there has to be some of that give and take. There has to be some learning from each other. If you're not learning from your students and they're not learning from you, then you lose the possibility of, of being synergistic. You have to enhance each other's uh, learning opportunities. And I love the idea of choice. That's uh, one of the things in my classroom as well because the idea of telling them what the end product has to look like uh, you know, <laughs> defeats the whole the whole point of education. And uh, you're right. You don't want. I don't want to know what the product is. I want them to figure out what it's going to look like. So I love that you said that. Yeah, that's that really is a, is a strong move. Mm -hmm. That that's really a strong yeah, move in the education. Yeah, go ahead. No, Joe. The question I was going to um, have for you is. With your vast experience, I'm really interested to hear the answer of this, like then and now compared to media that you're using as a teacher and the students are creating, can you take us back to when you started in education? You know, what were kids creating? What type of media were you using? And then fast forward to 2021 of today, you already mentioned a host of them when you said the way students are using Chromebooks and phones. Uh, but for yourself, I know you use a lot of technology tools and the same for the kids creating media. Can you give us, uh, you know, an answer to that of, you know, I'm really curious to hear what you started with and now so many years later, uh, you know, what you're using to create your own media and then uh, to have kids create media. I love the question because it takes me back to the beginning of my career. I'm in year 47 in the classroom right now. And as I say, I love the kids, and they're the reason I come to work. And I tell them I'm not coming to work. I'm coming here to be with you, and I'm here to learn with you. When I first started, technology wasn't anything even close to what it is right now. I remember staying after school late on a lot of days and recording the ABC after-school specials. They would take uh, programs like Brian's song, and they would be one-and-a-half-hour movies that the ABC network would broadcast, and there would be questions sent out through Scholastic Scope magazine that you could use in your classroom. So I would record all of the uh, after-school specials, and they would come on reel-to-reel. -reel. Now, reel-to-reel -reel recorders are are archived at this point. Right. I, I say this, and I'm sure that a lot of people in the audience are kind of frowning and, and thinking, what in heaven's name is that? They're cassette t 
tapes on, on a larger scale without the cassette around them to yep. protect them. Mm-hmm. The, the tape just fed from one reel through mm-hmm. a process to the other uh, uptake reel, and that's how things were recorded. If there was a crease, then you had to stop the whole process, very delicately remove the tape, yep. and hope that you could smooth out the crease, and there would still be a little bit of a jump in the tape, but not much. So we really began with that. We had the old-fashioned um, film strip projectors, mm-hmm. which were strips of film with separate cells that would, again, feed through. And if it was on automatic, which was the, the real way to do it, sure. then there would be a little beep that would come, and the wheel would turn, and the next slide would come up. And there was narration over the top of that sometimes. That was was very basic and, and primary technology. And we really used a lot with posters, with, with actual paper being drawn on, uh, not something that comes out of a computer program like word art might be today. Well, we had handmade art, and those would be displayed all over the classroom. Anything that was recorded was difficult to do. It wasn't as simple as we have it now, where you can just take out your phone and make a recording right on your phone, send it to your computer or to your editor, and then do whatever needs to be done from there, uh, adding effects and, and moving to different apps. Well, that wasn't possible back then. Uh, we, we look back and think, my gosh, how did we ever come that far? But it's a process, and it's a learning process. Uh, I can remember a change happening when I became connected with the Digital Literacies Collaborative out of Fordham University, Dr. Kristen Turner, who now has brought that same collaboration to Drew University in New Jersey. Uh, Fordham is in New York City. She had started this program And I went to a conference, and we were talking. She said, Joe, you have to get involved with this. I said, well, you know, I'm a little busy. I have a few things going on. She said, no, no, think about it. Okay. And really, that was the best decision I made to get involved because it really changed the way that uh, I I teach. I, I brought the technology into the classroom. I gave students an opportunity. And they didn't start out trying to do everything at once because then nothing gets done. Mm -hmm. And anything that does get done doesn't get done well. So I said to my students, I'm going to give you an opportunity to try something. You can still do the project the traditional way, but there's animation software, Powtoons. Take a look at the Mm Powtoons. Think about maybe making an iMovie. And take the project, we were doing poetry, move the project over to the, the application and, and, and see how it comes out. I had about five or six kids say, oh, okay, I'd like to try that. And they did, and it was wonderful. The products were amazing. I, I still use them at, at my workshops. Yeah, I love Powtoon. So I used to use that. Yeah, yeah. At, at that point, I said, okay. I've got to pursue this on a larger scale. And I began to bring more technology in. We read The Giver every year. Mm -hmm. 
And when we read The Giver, The Giver, of course, is about the absence of color, and at the end there's this infusing of color that just explodes. So I said to the students, we're going to write color poems, and you're going to choose your colors. You're going to choose the way that the poem looks, but you have to celebrate colors. Everybody's nodding. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. So sitting at their at their uh, computers and they're they're typing away, and I, I notice one kid in the back of the room is shaking his head. And I thought, well, is, there must be a problem there. So I look over and I said, Michael, is there a problem? He says, Yeah. So well, come on up. Let, let's talk about it. So I bring him up to my desk. I said, What's going on, man? He said, Well. I'm just not feeling it. Uh-huh. So what aren't you feeling? He said, this poem, I'm just not feeling it. Okay. Are you writing about colors? Yeah, but I'm not feeling it, man. Uh-huh. Right, look, I'm a poet too, so let, let's, let's talk about it. What are you writing about? Well, I wrote about the color red. Okay, that's good. And, 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 and I'm, I'm, I wrote about the color white. All right. So what seems to be the problem? I'm not feeling it, man. Okay, so what would you like to do? Well, I want to write about the American flag, red, white, and blue. Okay, that sounds good. I, I could do that? Yeah, sure, no problem. But don't throw away the other one because if it doesn't work out, you need to have something to fall back on. Otherwise, you're starting from the, the beginning again, and I don't know that you want to do that. All right. So he goes back, and I see him just feverishly typing away. Casually walk back, I look at, at the screen of his computer and he has a poem that's exploding it, it looks like something that that was professionally written and i thought all right just just leave the guy alone let him go he goes home finishes it comes in the next day shows me the poem oh bruce it blew me away i i, I saw descriptions in there that i don't think i could write <laughs> And I said, oh, my gosh, this kid's like seventh grade, and he's writing poetry that, that makes me think, I've got the next Longfellow here. This is, a, this is unbelievable. So I talked to him about the poem. I said, how do you feel about it? He says, well, I think I got it. <laughs> you more than got it. He says, yeah, I took this and showed it to my mom. She didn't believe that I wrote it. I said, well, you can tell her that you did because I watched you write part of it. And it was it was tremendous. He did it as a screencastify. Well, he had his slides come up and the voice was over the top and we wanted to be sure that we could hear the voice because I went to our, our tech teacher, Laura Garrison, and she said, you know, Joe, maybe you want to have the kids record the voice when they do these poems. I said, I love that idea. Yeah, that's great because then they're putting their own stamp, their own imprint on the project. So that's what we'll do. And, and we did that. Well, Michael so blew me away that I, I just started reaching out to, to different organizations, to different people I know saying, somebody's got to take a look at this. Somebody connected with the government or the military or somebody's got to take a look at this. This is a tremendous poem. Okay. I'm getting notes back. And every once in a while, someone says, Thank you so much for, for sending me a copy of the poem. Give your student encouragement. This is wonderful. And I'm saying this isn't enough. 
this poem is, is, is incredible. This kid's got to get some more recognition for this. It's the end of the school year, and at the end of the school year, everybody has their rooms all done. I'm sitting there till 7.30 at night typing these emails to anybody I can find researching. I, I sent to recruitment offices, and you have to fill out these little forms that says, may we contact you about possibly being recruited into our branch of the services? Sure, yeah, no problem. Okay. I'm way past the age of, you know, anything like that. But, yeah, okay, anything. I, I want to get this kid recognized. Finally, a letter comes in. It's from the U.S. Department of Ed, and they recognize Michael's poem. And the lady says, well, maybe if we come out there when we work with students, we can work with your students as well. I thought, oh, that's great. Then the administration changed. So that lady is gone now out of the U.S. DOE. But one more email came. And they opened it up, and it has the lines across the top, so it looks official. And they said, oh, another email telling me to encourage Michael to keep writing. And it says, dear Mr. Pizzo, we're writing to you because we really love the poem that your student Michael has written. Would you please write a blog that will explain how this project took place and then we'll send you some release forms. And if you'll have Michael have his parents sign the release forms and return them to us, we'll feature his poem on our website. And nice. I thought, oh, my gosh, you've got to be kidding. So I quickly wrote the blog up, sent it to them. And on July 4th, 2016, Michael's poem was on the homepage of the U.S. Office of Veterans Affairs. Yeah. And it stayed up there for about three months. The NEA Foundation contacted me, and they wanted to know if anything was going on. They were contacting their teachers who had won uh, grants from them prior. And I said, well, yeah, I'm doing this project. Oh, do, do you have the blog? Yeah, send it to us. Do you have the poem? Yeah, send it to us. Okay. Do you have any more of these? Yes, I do. Well, they posted four of the poems up on their homepage. That stayed up for about three months or so. National Council of Teachers of English reached out to me, and I was telling them about the project. They said, oh, could you send the blog? Okay. And I made the, the different blogs each time. They ran my blog in two parts, one with the project described and one with just uh, Michael's poem and my description of how that all took place. So his poem had impact in three different places. Plus, I had a gentleman who was connected with the uh, the USS Houston, which was a, uh, a submarine in, in World War II. Uh, his dad had been captured by the Japanese. And so they have a society that gets together. Michael actually got an invitation, which unfortunately he wasn't able to take, an invitation to visit their uh, convention to lead them in the, in the Pledge of Allegiance and to read his poem live. And all that came out of this little little opportunity to, here, do this, take a chance, take a risk, try this. And boy, what an impact we had. What was yeah, his that, reaction when you showed him the letter and the email? He was overjoyed, and he kept contacting me the morning of July 4th when I told him that it was going to be posted, and he said, is it up yet? <laughs> no, no, Michael, it's not up yet. Is it up yet? No, no, it's not up yet. And, <laughs> and somewhere after 10 a.m., it finally got posted up, 
and he was ecstatic. Just has he pursued he also, the writing? I mean, has he continued with it? In high school, he's he's still writing, yes, yes, and he's an outstanding student. In the beginning, I love your rapport with kids of someone doing something different, and instead of telling that student, you know what, no, this is the way that you have to do it. This is the one way. Bring the person right. up and try different ways and let him speak. And to me, it's a real story about not having kids conform that every single student you know, has to create the same thing. And the other note that I wrote down is, and you're amazing at this, to be an advocate for kids and help them get things published and help their voice be heard. And we know through the you know scripted book that is such a big point of let the student's voice be heard. And the technology teacher was spot on to let them do the voiceover uh, you know, with their stories makes it, uh, you know, so much more powerful. Um, I know we have a little bit of time left and I don't want to run out of time. So can you give us a couple yeah. minutes, Joe? We know that sure. you're on the Scripted Educators website with a spot of poetry. Mm -hmm. Can you just tell uh -huh. us like how the spot of poetry came about and what people will hear when they listen to it? Sure. I love poetry. And uh, as, as I've gotten older, I've, I've gotten even more appreciation for poetry, along with the fact that I write a little poetry. So I wanted to do something where if, if a teacher needs a do now at the beginning of a class, they can just take this, pick up a couple questions if they wish, or just have it as, as a focus point and start the class with it, or maybe use it to supplement a poem that they're reading. I've used some of these in my own class. And I've, I've had kids actually create their own where they'll make a spot of poetry. Mm -hmm. And I've told them, pick out your favorite poet. I, I choose a variety of poets. I've featured Robert Frost. Uh, I've featured Shel Silverstein. But I've also done Joy Harjo, Billy Collins, and Amanda Gorman. Those last three are all poets laureate. And... I, I don't start out by telling you who the poet is, but I give you the background information and build up to it and get to the point where now I give you the payoff. Our poet is so-and-so, and here is a sample of that person's poetry. Read it and then uh, do a little summary and ask the people to tune back in again for more spots of poetry. Poetry to me has to be read out loud. By having it read out loud, they hear the interpretation. And I'm a, a huge fan of reading to kids. I, I'll read to them any excuse. And when I do workshops, I try to tell teachers, have the reading across the curricula. Don't just limit it to the English classroom. Because you have learners who learn in different ways. And it makes... The, the learning come alive because you give it another dimension. You take it to another level. As a past English teacher, you know, the you kind of hit it on the nail there because one of the things that um, I think is always felt is that the English teacher should be the one that always teaches the reading. And uh, that was something that in our, you know, in our school, everybody needs to teach reading. It, you, you're exactly right. Yes. If you're in science or math, it doesn't matter. There needs to be reading done in the classroom. That's you're exactly right. I'm so glad you said that. What I was going to add to what Joe said is, as a elementary teacher, um, when I was a classroom teacher, one of my favorite times was reading to students, and it would always be after they come in from recess, they're heated, they run outside and got their energy out, and just like a great focus for like 10 or 15 minutes, 
keep reading the same book, whatever the book um, happened to be. And there was not one student, you know, who didn't enjoy that time of just being read to. It didn't matter the amount of time. It was probably 15 or 20 minutes just to get them, you know, like settled back in and get their brain settled back in. Um, and that, you know, that's such a huge piece, um, you know, in school for students to obviously be avid readers, but also, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to be um, reading themselves. So, Joe, we're coming close to the end. And before Paula wraps it up, you know, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today. And where can people, besides the scriptededucators.com website, where can people find you online to communicate with you? and also to listen to your uh, spot of poetry. I have my spots of poetry on YouTube, and uh, they can just look up Joe Pizzo, a spot of poetry, and the spot should come up. I'm on Twitter, as you know, at Prof, capital P-R-O-F, capital J, capital P-I-Z-Z-O, at Prof J. Pizzo. And I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, but... Twitter and uh, YouTube are probably the two easiest places. And your spot of poetry on our station uh, plays at 8 a.m. every single day and also at 6 p.m. every single day. If you can't catch one episode, you can catch another. You can uh, tune in right through our website, and you can also download the TuneIn app and listen to scripted radio through there as well. Joe, do you have any uh, just final thoughts, questions that you would like to uh, just put out there? What I would like to know is uh, how many people are taking reading and taking writing and, and stretching it across the curriculum, making it building wide initiatives. When I uh, had written a grant and brought in people from the Rutgers University National Writing Project to make a commitment with our district to put writing and reading across the curricula. We found that our test scores soared mm -hmm. because we were all using the same kinds of uh, approaches. We were using the same language. We were looking for the similar structures. Uh, terminology was the same. And it really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. And, and I'd be more than happy to discuss that with anyone. Yeah, our, I mean, ironically, that is exactly what our corporation is doing and has done for several years. And you are you are correct. It's made a huge difference because we're all on the same page yeah. and we talk the same language. So uh, it does make a huge impact on the learning process. It does indeed. And, and I think that, uh, it, again, you take energy and you create synergy. I just want to thank Joe for coming on. As I said in the beginning, I can go for hours and hours <laughs> with Joe and enjoy the conversation and look down and all of a sudden, wow, we're here for two or three hours. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I appreciate, I appreciate Joe as a colleague and friend and Joe could talk sports, education, anything life. And Joe, just thanks again so much uh, for coming on our uh, podcast and always, as always, you know, great to hear the stories about your students and congratulations again, 47 years as a teacher and the, National Middle School Teacher of the Year uh, is amazing. Thank you for the kind words. <laughs> yeah, we truly appreciate it. And my hope is, is that I can get out and have coffee with both of you at the same time here uh, when things clear up a little bit. So I'm looking forward to that. So Joe, you and I have not officially met yet. <laughs> yes. That, you know, that sounds great. When you do that with us, just 
chunk out like three or four hours in your calendar because it won't be it won't be a short conversation. Well, as it will be a long, well, a, Bruce, you know, a my, long conversation. My my calendar is pretty empty right now, as you know. So, um, all right, so we're going to wrap this up. And again, thank you to our special guest Joe Pizzo and my colleague Bruce Reicher. Randy was unable to be with us today, but he'll be back next week. So, uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Cryptid, an educator's guide to media in the classroom, is a resource book for all educators, providing scope and sequence for digital media in the classroom. It is your recipe guide to creating a successful digital media model in your school at any level. Scripted can be purchased through Edumatch Publishing, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. For more information, go to www.scriptededucators.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week for another episode of Scripted Conversation with Paula, Bruce, and Randy.